0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today.
1: So this week we continue our sermon series entitled Intended for Good, looking at Joseph's story here at the end of the book of Genesis. And this week we're going to continue moving along through Joseph's life here, But I'm not gonna read an entire chapter to you all, so I apologize. We've done the last couple of weeks, but you only get a few verses this week. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 41, verses 25 through 36. And I invite you to hear God's word. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, as are the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. After them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a man who is discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to befall the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for this word. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have Joseph's story. We thank you that we have the narrative of his life. That we can see how you worked in his life, Lord. That we can see the unique gifts that you gave him. And that we can see the way he used those gifts, Lord. Help us to fall under his example. Help us, Lord, to use the gifts you've given us for the purposes you'd like to accomplish in this world, Lord. Help us to learn from Joseph how we can do that best. And may your Holy Spirit speak to each and every one of us now through your scriptures. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is the point of the story where things turn for Joseph. And from this point on, he starts living the good life. Before this, he's had a pretty rough go of things. Remember, his brothers early on decided that they didn't want him around anymore. So, at first, they were going to kill him and they threw him into a pit. And then they decided instead to sell him into slavery. So, he's bought. He's then taken down into Egypt. He's sold to a man named Potiphar. Joseph is doing well, he's being faithful. But then Potiphar's wife ends up falsely accusing him, which puts Joseph in prison. He's in jail there. And again, he's doing well. And there's these two officials of Pharaoh's court who end up in jail. And Joseph interprets their dreams. One of them has good news. The other one, not so good news. The chief cupbearer is restored. The chief baker, his story ends. And Joseph has asked the chief cupbearer to remember him when he's back in Pharaoh's service. But as Genesis tells us, the chief cupbearer forgot Joseph. So Joseph has been languishing there in jail for two more years at least. Just wondering what could be happening. And that's where this story comes in. And I have to say that at this point in the story, the chief cupbearer becomes so annoying to me. Joseph has begged him, asked him, remember me when you're back with Pharaoh. Chief cupbearer forgets him for years. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has these dreams that he can't interpret. And Pharaoh is upset. And now when it's convenient for the chief cupbearer, he remembers that Joseph can interpret dreams. So chief cupbearer tells Pharaoh, I know somebody who can interpret your dream. And that's what puts Joseph in front of Pharaoh here. This, to me, is a moment of Joseph using the gifts God has given him. Using the abilities that God has given him. Joseph, throughout the Old Testament, really stands out in the sense that he is a pretty clear hero. There isn't much in Joseph's story that you have to negotiate with, that you have to try to explain He just genuinely tries to do the good thing over and over again. He tries to do right by others, tries to do right by God. You don't have to worry about Joseph too much. And as part of his character also, we know God has given him some pretty unique gifts. Joseph's gifts stand out. One of the first things I can see about Joseph and the gifts that he has is he's wise. He makes good decisions. He's able to look at a situation to figure out how things are going to play out in that situation and to do what is most faithful to God and what benefits others in that situation. That's why he's able to handle Potiphar's house when he was a slave in Potiphar's house. And he was put in charge of so many things because God was with him. And whatever decision Joseph made, it flourished. That's why in jail, he was able to run things and manage things so well also. So Joseph has this gift of wisdom. He also has this gift of faith. We see that. Consistently, he remains faithful to God. Consistently, he remains faithful to God even when circumstances are terrible around him. His faith in God stands. But I think the gift that stands out the most in Joseph's story is this gift of dreams that he has. Remember, Before Joseph's story, the way God communicates is largely through direct communication. God walks with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God speaks directly to them. Abraham argues back and forth with God. Jacob wrestles with God. There's this direct connection. But when we get to Joseph's story, God begins speaking through dreams. There's the dream at the very beginning of Joseph's story where he learns he's going to rule over his brothers. It's actually two dreams that have the same message, which means God's definitely going to do this. And that dream drives the story. Joseph is able to interpret it. His brothers think he's just being arrogant, but that dream then dictates what's going to happen from here on out. And then in jail, as I already mentioned, Joseph is able to interpret the two dreams of these officials in Pharaoh's court. Joseph has this gift of dreams. He both has dreams and he can interpret others' dreams in order to see what it is God is communicating. And in this story, where where Joseph is standing there in front of Pharaoh, interpreting his dream, you can see Joseph using all of those gifts in this one moment. The gift of wisdom Joseph is able to see a difficult situation that's going to happen and he lays out a plan for Pharaoh. He's able to put together the correct decisions, the correct sequence of events that should happen in order to have a good outcome. You can see his wisdom there. You can see his faith in God, knowing that God has given these dreams. It's going to happen. It's certain. And he proclaims it to Pharaoh as though it's certain. And let's be very clear here. If Joseph were wrong, it would not go well for him with Pharaoh. If Pharaoh doesn't get relief from this dream that's bothering him, it's not going to go well for Joseph. This is a risk here, but Joseph has faith that the dream is from God, that his gift stands. And obviously he's using this gift of dreams, of being able to interpret dreams. Joseph is using all of his gifts here in this moment. The idea of gifts is one that has been debated, been discussed throughout Christian history. As long as the church has existed, people have claimed that there are gifts of the Spirit, that they are used. But nobody has seemed able to actually define what a gift is and give a specific list of gifts. Now, some people have tried. This last week, I went and looked at the different lists of spiritual gifts. And I've got to tell you, all of these lists lists seemed very authoritative. One list was very certain that there are seven spiritual gifts. Another one was certain that there are 22 spiritual gifts. And another one was certain that there are 21 spiritual gifts. I could have kept going, but I stopped because I realized, however certain they may sound, clearly Christians don't agree about how many spiritual gifts there are. And that's okay. We have to recognize that when millions of Christians throughout history have been debating something, it means it's not actually clear, despite people saying it is clear. And that is okay. The Holy Spirit can be working in the midst of disagreement, working in the midst of debate. And I think it's better for us to have a gracious posture towards Christians who disagree about different gifts and to recognize we don't get to control how the Holy Spirit is going to work just because we feel certain about something. So I don't know what the specific number of gifts are, I'll tell you. And I'll tell you why I don't know that in a second here. But I also did try to look for a definition, and I went to the most trusted of sources, Wikipedia. I didn't go because I thought it was going to be correct. I went to Wikipedia because it is a good indication of just what people seem to think is correct. And the definition that's on Wikipedia for a spiritual gift is an extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit. An extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of people would embrace that definition, but I want to challenge that today for, for one main reason. I want to actually look at the scriptures. I think the person who talks about spiritual gifts the most and the most clearly in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. Paul gives a number of lists. So in Romans chapter 12, this is the list that Paul gives for spiritual gifts. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, encouragement, giving in sincerity, diligent leadership, cheerful compassion. When Paul's writing to the Romans, those are the gifts that he mentions to them in Romans chapter 12. The problem arises when you look at what Paul writes to the Corinthians, a different church, different city, different setting. When Paul lists the gifts to the Corinthians, he says, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, powerful deeds, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Right away, you should notice these two lists are pretty different. It's not the same list. It's not the same gifts that Paul lists to the different churches. Which tells me Paul isn't trying to write an exhaustive list, an exclusive list of all the gifts when he's writing to the different churches. He's not trying to label every single gift there is here. Otherwise, the list would be consistent because it wouldn't change what he wants to say to the different churches. They would need to know all of the gifts if he's trying to be exhaustive here. In the same chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say that there's apostles, there's prophets, there's teachers, and then he lists the gifts of deeds of power, healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, and tongues. In the very same chapter, he changes the list, and he adds a couple other gifts there. And then in Ephesians, Paul ties gifts to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, saying that these gifts are given so that these roles can be fulfilled. So there's a few things I think we can learn from looking at Paul's lists of gifts. First is, like I mentioned, I don't think that Paul is trying to give an exhaustive list here. I think he's pointing to things that are good examples of gifts, but those aren't limited. That it doesn't. The gifts aren't limited to just that list here. The second thing I think we can see here, and this is where I would challenge that definition earlier that I gave of an extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit. Some of these gifts aren't that extraordinary. Some of these gifts are actually fairly ordinary. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, that's not a miracle. That's something that we can see regularly. That's not that extraordinary. Um, Gifts of diligent leadership gifts of assistance, administration. Not every single spiritual gift is tied to what we would call a miracle. And sometimes I think we can get so attached to things needing to be extraordinary or needing to be a miracle that we lose sight of what the Bible actually tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in very, what we would consider, ordinary ways. But it doesn't make it less of a gift of the Spirit. Our perception, our expectation is what is wrong there. And if we're constantly expecting the gifts of the Spirit to be extraordinary, we're going to miss out on witnessing so much that the Spirit is doing in our lives. So I think letting go of that idea of a gift needing to be extraordinary opens up our eyes to the work God is doing. Makes us more aware of God's work in our lives. And then the last thing I think we can learn from Paul's list here, not the last thing ever, just the last thing I'm going to mention today, is that gifts are tied to purposes. Paul ties them to the role of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Gifts are given not just for their own sake. They're not given just so that somebody can do a cool trick. It's not a party trick or anything like that. Gifts are given for a purpose. And that's what I think that extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit, it misses that also, that definition. So I'm going to give you a definition that I made up. And I want you to know I made this up. So take it for that. It's a made up definition. Challenge it. See if it makes sense to you. This is not Holy Scripture that I'm now proclaiming. This is something I did yesterday. In fact, I did it so recently, I don't even have a slide for it. So you're going to have to listen closely. I would say a gift, and this is my best definition. Again, I might be wrong here. I would say a gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's purposes. To me, that's a gift. It's an ability, not an extraordinary one, not just a deed of power. It's an ability given by the Holy Spirit because all spiritual gifts ultimately come from the Holy Spirit. We don't get to control them. They're given to us by the Holy Spirit. To accomplish God's purpose. At the end of the day, we use gifts to accomplish God's purposes. And I wouldn't limit the type of gifts God gives us based on the different types of gifts. I would limit what is a gift and what isn't a gift based on, does it accomplish the purposes that God lays out in the scriptures? That should be the test. When we embrace that definition, that understanding of gifts, I think it opens us up to a lot of revelations in our own lives. That you have gifts that God has given you to accomplish purposes in your life. And that that's how gifts should be used. And here in this story of Joseph, you were wondering if I was going to get back to that, weren't you? Here in this story of Joseph, we see Joseph doing just that. He's using these gifts that God has given him, wisdom, faith, dreams, to accomplish God's purpose. God has communicated to Pharaoh these dreams, has troubled Pharaoh, so that God's purpose can be accomplished. So what does Joseph do? He interprets the dream, he lays out a plan, but in doing so, he blesses all the land of Egypt. God's purpose is, In this scene, in this story, in giving Pharaoh this dream, in creating this moment for Joseph, was to avoid calamity in Egypt. People were going to die. The famine was going to happen. People were going to lose their lives. But through Joseph, that has now been averted to the glory of God. Notice here, though, that Joseph isn't just using his gift to help a few people. He's not laying out a plan that just saves a few powerful people in Egypt. He's laying out a plan for all the land of Egypt. And I think for us, a lesson in that is, God is seeking to bless people that would surprise us. That the gifts God gives you, the purpose of God is to restore and redeem this entire world. And we're given gifts to remind people of the work God is doing to do that. Pulling people back to the purpose of God through the cross, through the resurrection. And oftentimes, Christians can sadly fall into this understanding of it's us versus the world. We start thinking that the world is our enemy. That the people in the world are our enemy. That we're meant to be in opposition to them or that we're meant to be in opposition to the institutions in the world around us. I think sometimes that attitude comes from the Gospel of John because the world is talked about there as a place where evil deeds are done, where people live in darkness, and that is true. But we also have to remember that in the very same Gospel, the Gospel of John, that talks about the world so negatively, we're told that God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. God's purpose is to love the world, to redeem the world, to restore the world. It's not to destroy the world. That's the opposite of God's purpose here. So I think we have to let go of this us versus the world mentality and follow Joseph's example here. Use our gifts to bless anyone God would bring into our lives. Use our gifts to bless the people that we don't like as much. The people it's not as easy to bless. The people that we disagree with. The people that we think are destroying the world. We seek to bless them in the way Jesus taught us. In the way Joseph lays out for us here in Egypt. I think that's the best use of our gifts. I think that's following in with God's purpose here. Joseph used his gift to avert a famine in Egypt to make sure the consequences of the famine weren't that bad so that people would live. And he blessed all the land of Egypt. How might you use your gifts? What people has God brought into your life? What skills, what abilities have you been given that you might be able to point somebody to what God is accomplishing in this world? It could be an angry boss. It could be a disgruntled friend. It could be a disgruntled neighbor that you would never consider a friend. It could be a family member that you're estranged from. It could be any number of people, but you have abilities that God has given you to let other people have hope. How might you use your gifts towards that end? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's example here. We thank you that he used his gift to bless all the land of Egypt. That his gifts were used not just to curry favor with Pharaoh because he could have done that in a different way, Lord. But Joseph took this opportunity to save the lives of so many people by laying out a plan for how to deal with the famine, Lord. We thank you for that example. Help us to use our gifts to bless others, Lord. Help us to use our gifts to give others hope in you to let them know what it is you're accomplishing. That through Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, you weren't just avoiding a famine, Lord, but you were overcoming sin and death itself once and for all. Help us use our gifts so that others can embrace that hope, Lord.
0: change to come What has come?